Yes, you are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, July the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2019. And as is our custom on Mondays, we like to take a look at one of the readings for the coming Sunday, which is the 6th Sunday after Pentecost. And what we've chosen to look at is Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. And the reason I've chosen that is because I had a very interesting experience uh, recently this past weekend driving for Uber. And I'm going to share with you what had happened. So without further ado, let's take a look at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How can people not understand that? That you are reconciled to God now. And when did that occur That reconciliation took place actually when Jesus was crucified on the cross, which leads me to my experience I had driving for Uber recently. I picked up a young woman who was going to a hotel, and on the way there, she got to understand that I, of course, am a pastor. And when she is talking to me, she asks this question. If I sin and immediately ask Jesus to forgive my sin, does forgiveness take place at that time? Now, how do you think I answered that? I need to tell you she is of a Roman Catholic background, although is not attending church at this time. My answer to her question was, is her sin forgiven at the time when she asked for it? And I looked at her and I said, no, it isn't. Well, she was really surprised. She says, you mean I'm not forgiven? I said, let me ask you this question. And this is a technique I use in talking with Christians. I believe she was a Christian, as you're going to see pretty soon. And therefore, she has a Holy Spirit. Therefore, there are questions you can ask her that will help clarify for her her situation. I said... When were your sins forgiven? Now, I thought that she would say, well, when I asked for forgiveness or being Roman Catholic when I baptized, and I was really almost shocked to hear her answer. She said, my sins were forgiven when Jesus died on the cross. Wow. That is the correct answer. In fact, it was not only her sins that were forgiven, but the sins of the entire world. What do we mean by that? 
that at the cross, God the Father became reconciled to the entire world. Just not of believers, but also of sinners. In fact, that's what verse 22 of Colossians 1 says. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, namely us, so that we can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How can we be holy and blameless if we're still sinners? That, that's the question. And I explained to her what we in Lutheran theology uh, talk about between objective and subjective justification. Now, she had no idea what I was talking about when I used those terms, but I explained them. I said, we believe, teach, and confess, as you just said, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, remember he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And that request was granted by the Father. In fact, here's how Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That is the essence of the forgiveness of sins. In other words, God no longer holds us accountable for our sins. Then why do people go to hell? People do not go to hell because they sin, because then everybody would be going to hell, even believers who continue to sin, of course. The new paradigm under the new covenant that God has set up with us is people go to heaven because they now believe they have faith in the promises of the gospel. And people go to hell because they deny the promises of the gospel. It's a distinction between faith and unbelief. And here I had a woman in the car who was a believer. So I'm telling her that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, which means he is not counting their trespasses against them. He doesn't say he's not counting the trespasses against believers, but against the world. And therefore, what's the message of Christianity? This very next phrase. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul goes on and says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, see, here's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. In every other religion in the world, people want to be reconciled to God, but God's not reconciled to them. And so they're trying to do things to get God to like them, love them, and finally save them. But that's not Christianity. It's the opposite. Because of the death of Jesus Christ, God is reconciled to you. And the church's task 
is to be reconciled to God. Let, let me read that verse. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then, how did this all happen? Because from God the Father's point of view, our sin was carried on the shoulders of Jesus when he died on the cross. Listen to verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you could add this next phrase, who are never righteous before God by our own works. You see, just as Jesus was declared to be sin, even though he never sinned, we're declared to be righteous even though we never do a perfectly righteous good work. Our old Adam always has evil motivation, whether we're aware of it or not. She, the woman in the car I was driving for Uber, she had never heard this before. And she said, I'm really glad that I met you today because I've got problems in my life. She told me some of them. And she felt that, boy, she really needed to hear this. And so we explained a little bit more. We, we actually got to the hotel, and I just stopped. And rather than her leaving, we began to talk. And one of the hotel individuals came out and said we weren't allowed to park there because other cars were trying to get in. But if we would move forward, we can stop and... Uh, on the side. So I just moved forward a bit and we talked for another five or 10 minutes. And at the end of telling her what we as Lutherans understand about the Bible, she said something that is rarely heard. And she said to me, you know, I think I'm Lutheran because I believe this. Now I've said this on the radio program many a time that every Christian is a closet Lutheran. What do I mean by that? Whether or not they realize it, their true faith is exactly what Lutherans teach. I'll give you one example, and I have used this. I can ask questions that would get a different answer if they were thinking about the religion to which they belong. And here's one question. If you were to die today and you go to heaven, who are you going to give all the credit to for your salvation? Roman Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, they all answer Jesus. Even though the teaching in their church doesn't say that. Uh, for example, uh, Presbyterians believe in double predestination, that God actually sends people to hell. They have no choice. Baptists believe that you have to invite Christ into your heart. Roman Catholics believe you're saved not just by faith alone, but faith plus your works. In each of these teachings, you're taking partial credit. But when you ask that question, just try that on one of your Christian friends and see if they don't answer Jesus. That, that shows me that they have a true understanding 
of the scripture in their heart. And so she was really happy with that. That she knew she had been alienated, she did evil deeds, but her forgiveness was at the cross. Now, I, I know what I've had some of the passengers say, well, if we're forgiven all our sins, then why can't I go ahead and do anything I want? If God's forgiven everything. And I said, okay. Then I ask other questions. And the question that I always get a correct answer to is, do you have parents? And they say, yes. Uh, Do you love your parents? And by and large, most of them do say yes. Some may have had a problem with mom or dad, but normally, oh, yes. So when you come home from a date and your parents are sleeping, before you go in the house, you go over to their car and puncture all their tires with a knife, right? No, I wouldn't do that. Well, wait a minute. If you did that, would you still be the child of your parents? Yes. Would your parents end up forgiving you and allow you to stay in the house? Yes. Well, you've understood Christianity. The more you have faith in Jesus Christ, the more you attend church services and Bible studies, the more your love for Jesus grows so that it's really hard to purposefully do a sin. And so when you have that relationship with God, you don't have this attitude, well, I can go ahead and do anything I want because I know I'm going to be forgiven. That's not there. Because Paul continues in the Colossians passage that Jesus has presented you holy and blameless and above reproach before God the Father. And then verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the now. What's going to follow here? What's true faith? Not shifting from the hope that your good works are doing before God? No. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And what's the gospel? The gospel is that because of the death of Jesus Christ, Jesus now presents you, even as an unbeliever, as holy and blameless and above reproach before God. And you say, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because that's what the scriptures say. And once the scriptures say something, we are not to deny it. And in fact, that hope of the gospel that you heard, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, which has proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, this is the task of the pastor. To take the message of the gospel, and proclaim it. You're already reconciled to God. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. The task of the church is to get people to be reconciled to him. How does that happen? Well, let's say somebody does something against you, and you get kind of angry And then you find out that what they had done against you was for a good purpose. 
Well, then there's no problem with reconciliation because things have changed. That's what God did. He considers you such a sinner, he has to die on the cross. That makes people mad. I'm not that bad a sinner. But then when they discover that because of his death they are reconciled to God the Father, then the Holy Spirit uses that to create faith, which not only saves faith alone, but then helps you to continue in the faith stable and steadfast. Every time we sin, it's because we're breaking the first commandment. We have another God, and it's usually us. So Paul continues in verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Remember, Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. At times, he didn't have food. But he rejoices in those sufferings because he's doing it as a minister of the gospel. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So he's using his vocation as a pastor, even though he's suffering for it. Had he just ignored what the Holy Spirit had done on the road to Damascus, then he wouldn't have had this tremendous suffering. But verse 25, he says, of which I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. We've talked quite a bit about this in regard to sermons. The word of God does include doctrines, like Jesus is both man and God, there's a holy trinity, etc. But I truly believe that a sermon should not be just emphasizing the doctrines, although they may be mentioned, but really emphasizing the gospel. And you're going to say, well, what's the difference between doctrines and the gospel? Well, it's a huge difference. The gospel is good news to you, a sinner who is discomforted. This woman got out of the Uber taxi uh, that I drive, and she was really happy. And I, I gave her a uh, card, and she said she would start listening. Uh, you don't know who she is, but I'll mention her name. Her name was Sam. And so, welcome, Sam, if you're listening today. Uh, you've been very helpful to me, and I know many other people, because of what you heard, which you already believed. You already believed that your sins were forgiven when Jesus died on the cross, and that's why you're a Christian. Uh, the reason to come to a proper church that teaches law and gospel and administers the sacraments rightly is you get to hear more of the meaning of that gospel for you. And I'll tell you, there's a very interesting verse that follows that Paul says, I was called to be uh, apostle to the Gentiles to make the word of God fully known. And listen to verse 26 of Colossians 1. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. You see, I don't believe Adam and Eve knew that Jesus was going to die on a cross. 
the first time I believe that the scriptures even talk about a cross is in Psalm 22, David, where he writes that the Messiah is going to be pierced in hands and feet. So additional information concerning the death of Christ came about. That's why Jesus was certain that he was going to die on the cross because he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And that's why he told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be put to death there, but I'll rise in three days. The mystery hidden for ages, we see through a cloud darkly. In heaven, it'll be just open to all light. So verse 27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, that's really important. Christ is in you. And he came in you, particularly for those of you who've been baptized with the Pentecost baptism, you also received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but you also received Jesus within you. Paul continues, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone. Well, why are you warning? Well, see, that's the task of the law. The task of the law is to warn people that they were alienated and hostile in mind towards God. They were doing evil deeds. And that's something that really needs to be heard by unbelievers so they come to a realization they need a Savior. So Paul says, him we proclaim, first of all, warning everyone, and then teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? It means to believe the promises of the gospel. And until a person hears those promises of the gospel or the sacrament is done, particularly like infant baptism, then they are not mature in Christ. It really doesn't matter how weak your faith is because you're mature in Christ when you have faith, even the faith like a grain of mustard seed. So Paul ends with verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What, what energy is Paul talking about? He's talking about the energy he gets from God the Father that he pro powerfully works within me. I mean, how many of us can... Continuing the work of the Apostle Paul. When I went to Novosibirsk, that's in Russia, and I was teaching students at a seminary there on law and gospel, one of my concerns was, am I going to be able to eat the food? Because God said that when you go to a house, you eat what they provide you. You know, don't ask for something else. But fortunately, at the seminary, we had a tremendous cook, and even her borscht was wonderful, and she also would give me a side of sour cream that I often would put on things. So I, I had good meals. But then I see these videos of missionaries in certain lands, 
and they're sitting with a number of natives, and they just killed an animal. It's roasting on the fire that they have. And then the chief of the tribe starts picking off pieces of meat and handing it to the missionaries to eat. Boy, that would be hard for me to do. And yet those missionaries do it. So God ends up putting you in places where you're able to be doing what he asks you to do. And that's why Paul says, the only way we can struggle is with the energy that God gives us, that he powerfully is working within us. And that's important for lay people to understand too. I can't believe how many lay people are afraid to witness to someone else because they say, well, I wasn't trained at the seminary. I don't know what to say. It's not important that the level of what you say as that you just say it. I mean, how many hymns have you got memorized that are a beautiful summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or how about the Apostles' Creed? Just share with somebody what that says, that he died and on the third day rose from the dead. That may lead to questions. And a lot of times people are brought to faith simply by lay people in the congregation asking them to attend church with them or coming to a Bible study. Or I I think this is something that should be being done, that pastors would have Bible studies held in the homes of his members. And that way they invite people from the neighborhood, maybe have some donuts and something to drink, but then he does the Bible study. Now, we did that at my former congregation, and about 20, 25 people ended up joining the congregation because of that technique, because they then heard that though they were hostile in mind toward God, they were reconciled by the death of Jesus Christ. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be taking the hymn, I'll take a look at that, that's selected for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, and it is where charity and love prevail. Something is present. We're going to take a look at that with the help of Mark Smith. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.